Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam? Has it really been 50 episodes? I know. It really doesn't feel like it, does it? It feels more like it's been whatever the equivalent is of putting a hot poker up your ass. Coming to you almost live from our 50th episode celebration gala, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your hosts. And still. Yeah, like after 50 episodes. We are still your hosts. And we're, uh, we're also, we also have about 50 guests for people to, uh, to hear this day. That's tip. right. We invited everyone to the party, and uh, we're going to speak to literally all of them very shortly. Um, because this is this is a really special moment for us. It we, is. We didn't expect the unknown studio to go as long as it has, and that's not to say that that we didn't want it to, and that we weren't hopeful that it would. But we were realistic. We set realistic goals for ourselves, and 50 episodes is a tremendous milestone, and one that we're very proud of for a show that we are very proud of. Well, I, but the the other great thing is that this episode presents an opportunity. Uh, for people who want to get into the show. That's right. Uh, so we wanted it to be not just a celebration of all that came before. Which it will be. But also uh, a, a jumping on point. A, a, uh, a point where, where new people can be brought in so that we can build our audience for the next 50 episodes. That's right. And on that note, I think we can, we can both say together, previously, previously on, on The, the Unknown, Unknown Studio. Studio. Oh wow! I just got the look. Who's we are Felicia not friends. Day? Felicia Day, sort of like she was on Buffy, and okay, she has the exactly guild, and the guild, yes. she was Penny in Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog, which, which I still haven't watched. How is she in your podcast? Like seriously? It's the because nip- we it's the nipple clamps. Because we both decided we wanted to do a podcast. Wow. He didn't. He didn't really do. There wasn't a very large screening process. Apparently. Okay, world. I will watch Doctor Horrible because I promised you and Christine that I would. Yeah, like and, months ago. Well, and I even have it on my computer. Oh, my goodness. I'm really lazy. Um, yeah, Nathan Fillion sings in it and Neil Patrick Harris. Come on. But, like, so, okay, yeah, people get onto Twitter because they think that they can interact with people like Nathan Fillion or Will Wheaton or, if you're a fan of Star Trek, Lieutenant Commander Data, who's done some really interesting things with Twitter, actually. Actually, he's done a brilliant thing with Twitter, in but, my opinion. Um you really like it's it is actually very difficult to be heard by those people i mean you can do at replies but when when you're being followed by a million people or half a million people and they're all responding to what you're saying well uh forgive me for saying but that's a cluster frack tell me about it it's it's a hard life you well, know, no, trying to explain to reply to all these people but you yeah. do follow you follow a lot of people don't you i follow just under 1500 now how the um, hell do you do it I just follow them. I just I just go through there a lot. I use a lot of hashtags. Um, I don't know. I'm on there a lot. I don't have. Um, I don't use TweetDeck. I don't do any kind of filtering. I use the web. I am very old school that way. I tried TweetDeck. I didn't like it. I 
I read almost all my tweets on the web or on my uh, BlackBerry. You're an early adopter, a true early adopter. I, I just, I can't do it. I use T-Whirl sometimes, but even then, like, no, I need to go on the web. Is it T-Whirl or Twirl? Twirl? I don't know. That's because I've been calling it Twirl this whole time. You go ahead and Twirl. All right. For those of you not local to the city of Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton Sun recently did a report card on city council uh which was an interesting read the uh the report card did not look favorably upon the current city council and uh had some very not uh, not even taking into account their their poll which which they did but just the editorial board of the of the paper did their thinking on city council and uh you don got uh unsurprisingly a low grade so did everyone else so let's just uh let's just put a caveat on that but they called you dangerous mm-hmm. because of your green leanings and while i've got you here i want to ask you about that what's your why do you think that they would feel that way and kind of what's your reaction to them saying something like that well um three things the first is go back and read the the one that scott mckean did in the journal because i like that that report card a lot better i I got a b plus there um and uh the second thing is my uh my joking line on this has been is for six adults at the edmonton sun to still have their feelings as hurt as they do that i beat mike nickel in 2007 is is actually just kind of sad but uh, but the third the third thing is um that is a newspaper that is extraordinarily out of touch oh agreed extraordinarily out of touch with what not just young lefty hippie weirdos from the university think or whatever (laughs) whatever labels they would put on me yeah uh who've never worked a day in their life uh i mean they can dismiss well-meaning intelligent edmontonians all they want whether they're elected or whether they're whether they're citizens but uh, they're absolutely missing the boat when it comes to public acceptance that Climate change is an issue. We may not all agree what we need to do about it, but I think the public is there. And I've canvassed a hell of a lot more people out in Ward 5 two years ago knocking on doors than they ever have. And uh, and I can tell you that the public thinks that this is an issue. The public cares about preserving our river valley, whether it's as for the aesthetics of it or whether it's because they value the biodiversity and the connection with nature. Uh, and so, I, I, I mean, I think... To hassle me about the fact that that I and and the mayor asked me to be the lead on the environment initiative anyway, so uh, I'm just doing my job by uh, being an advocate for uh, for environmental causes within the municipality here. But um, there are all kinds of people at the other end of the spectrum who are very active in the uh, environmental non-governmental organization area and activists who don't think I'm going far enough. Hey, the first Mortal Kombat movie was awesome. awesome. It had it did have amazing fight it scenes. Is the actually, fight choreography it was amazing. in both good. movies actually it was surprisingly was really good. good. I know that as the only person with uh, any degree of taste here, I should disagree with you guys, but I would say that the Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat movie, total guilty yeah. pleasure movie. Only other yep. good video game adaptation. And mostly because Sonya Blade was, the, the actress who played Sonya Blade was Which in time? Billy Madison. Yeah. <laughs> the first one. Okay. The, uh, the second one was laughably forgettable. I pretend oh, yeah. it never happened yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, but the first one was quite good. But again, you go back, their source material was, okay, well, there's a big fighting tournament. 
because yes. someone's trying to take over Earth. Actually, and, so they had to fill in the blanks. In defense of Mortal Kombat, there was a backstory to it. And I'm glad that uh, that we brought up movies actually, because while there have not been, there's only been really, if we're going to go by the count we just had, which is not an extensive one, two movies that were decent. There are two more that are coming out that I have some hope for. One is Prince of Persia, which uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is making it. They want, Disney wants it to be the next Pirates. Pirates was tolerable. It was tolerable. I, I don't like Jake Gyllenhaal being Prince because, you know, when I hear Prince of Persia, I don't think Swedish Jew. But <laughs> He went there. He went there. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a Swedish Jew. It's just not Persian. I'm sorry. Um the other thing, um, the other movie that that looks potentially good is Bioshock, mate, which has Gore Verbinski behind it, which gives me a lot of hope, and I think that that could be a good movie. That movie also is potentially being put on the back burner because Gore Verbinski wants like a lot of money to make it. I think the philosophy behind making a video game movie is ass backwards. When Terminator Civilization came out, a lot of the reviews I read were that this game this movie is like a video game. And their basis for this was that it basically the plot was a MacGuffin to go from action sequence to action sequence. Which is fine, except that that is an horribly inaccurate representation of video games in general. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. And Agreed. and the philosophy when when Paul W. S. Anderson made uh, Max Payne, it blew my mind at how a man could take a game based on John Woo movies, like inspired by John Woo movies. The game itself was action-packed to the point where it was just amazingly awesome. And then make a boring-ass movie about it with like two action sequences. How is that even possible? I had a character who was a lot lot of fun. Uh, I just named him the Mad Bomber. And his whole thing was, uh, he was an alchemist, so you could make potions. And one of the potions was a purple potion called an exploding potion. And all you would do is hold, your character would hold it and count to five and throw it, and then it would explode. So what my guy would do is he would just load his, uh, himself up with these purple potions and <laughs> then find a group of people doing something I did not agree with. Which, like killing mong bats. Like killing mong bats. Um, just stand there standing in the group and he would like load up one of the uh, double click one of the potions in his inventory so it's counting down and then he'd just run at them and be like kabam right in the middle and then die and maybe take somebody out with it <laughs> so let me get this straight you were in one server a person who went around tricking people into dying and stealing their things and in another server you were a fanatical environmentalist who failed miserably at your job, and in yet another server, you were a suicide terrorist. No, because there were six characters per server. All the same server. <laughs> uh, I had another guy who was really good for exploring the, the world, because, I mean, the world was huge. Uh, and his name was simply Gate Runner, and he was a naked man. Uh, <laughs> as naked as the game would let you. You had, like, a little, little Speedo thing going on there. And he would find people who opened portals, and he would. I would just type in capital letters like "portal" and then run right into it. <laughs> I don't know where it went, and wherever it came out, like I'd, I'd show up on a mountaintop with with dragons uh, and a loincloth, <laughs> and then get promptly just destroyed. <laughs> just get into a slap fight with a dragon. <laughs> and I mean, sometimes I'd just show up at somebody's house because like this group of friends were showing up. This so this naked man runs out and he's like ah. And then he turns around, opens the door, and just keeps running. And that's all he did. He would run until he found a portal, and then scream portal and run into it. 
For me, uh, my main inspiration was the movie Hook with Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. The first 95% of that movie is awesome, and I love it, and it has a noble doc noble uh, Captain Hook. Sure, he's evil, but he's still noble and righteous. Lawful evil. Lawful evil, yes. He's Not obviously evil. following a code. Yes. That's actually Indeed. an excellent film. It I, is. I really do enjoy it. Right that. up until the end, when he stabs Pan with a hidden dagger and is like, ha ha. That really made me sad, and I hated whoever wrote it. Hmm. But the first 95%, if you just click pause right up before the end, it's a great movie. Uh, I quite liked the uh, the 2003 adaptation, which had uh, Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook. He, he's most famous for playing uh, Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies. He makes a very sexy Captain Hook, if I may. Uh, and, yeah. and he's very, very good, and it's a very good movie. He... I would argue he makes the movie. That's just me. Uh, but but what's there's the movie? It's Peter Pan, oh, okay. 2003. Oh, yeah. I think that Lucius Malfoy makes a sexy Lucius Malfoy. He's, he's so, Well, Jason Isaacs is a great actor. Deliciously evil. <laughs> and he's got long blonde hair. It kind of reminds me of Vigo from Ghostbusters, too. Mm, ah, Vigo. <laughs> Did you guys... I was in HMV the other day as an aside. And do you know what Ghostbusters is in French? It's SOS Fantôme. Nice. <laughs> I do That's not. Fantastic. Well, I don't get it though. Like, is it SOS, comma, there are ghosts here, or is it SOS ghosts help me, <laughs> or and someone help me? I don't know. But I thought that was a, a nice little Frenchism. It almost, it almost seems like English in in French. So there you go. They should have just called it. There is no movie, only Zool. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty much uh, an abject impossibility to uh, have any ecosystem, pretty much any ecosystem on uh, the planet, at least anywhere on land, that could function without insects. Hmm. And if you expand it to include uh, arthropods uh, in general, which would be things with exoskeletons and many jointed legs like crustaceans, yeah, uh, then really no ecosystem on Earth could really thrive without those sorts of things. Um, like I said, He's going to live in fear the rest of his life. <laughs> like I said before, it's really insects and spiders that run the world, not us. We just have delusions of grandeur. Now, I'm going to segue from that before you mm -hmm. continue with your questions. Sure, please. I read an article, um, and I think it was on New Scientist uh, just recently, mm -hmm. about a species of ant that has essentially super-colonized the globe. That they yeah, I believe have... it's the Argentine ant. Yes. Um, any uh, ant from any colony throughout the world, um, you can transplant it into another ant colony, and it gets along just fine. Whereas um, with other ant species, um, different uh, genetic groupings of them, like that is ants from other colonies, won't get along with one another, and colonies will, in fact, fight and try and establish dominance because, over one another. Because ants are a very violent species. Indeed, they are. Expansionistic. Aggressive. They're a lot like us. Oh. I've heard that there's uh, something on the order of five quintillion ants on the face of the planet. That uh, that means that we are outnumbered, people. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying the Argentine ant outnumbers us and is everywhere. So watch your back. They and, might know where you sleep. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we somehow nuked the planet and probably effectively destroy the human race, there's a good chance that at least a handful, a small percentage of the quintillion? Yeah. How, well, how many? Is that five times? Well, what the hell is that number? It's a lot of zeros is <laughs> yeah. what it is. To scale up, like a billion is... Uh, one one hundredth, uh, or sorry, one one thousandth of a trillion, and right. a trillion is one one thousandth of a quadrillion. 
right. and a quadrillion is one one thousandth of a quintillion. And now my ears are bleeding because my brain is melted. Would you like to see another team come to Canada, and uh, do you think it will happen? Um, I don't think it's going to happen this time around. Uh, it'll happen eventually. It's inevitable. It makes total sense. Um, here's where uh, people don't think it through, though. There, you know, people just say, "Let's take Florida and let's take Nashville and let's take Atlanta," and those are all disasters of a franchise. Like they're just brutal franchises in terms of attendance and coverage in their market. Like that that franchise right now uh, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is a massive failure, and in Atlanta, it's a massive failure, and obviously in Phoenix, it's a, a total gong show and a massive failure. It could work. I mean, in Dallas. Uh, the, not only the team, but the grassroots hockey programs in Texas now are phenomenal. California has gone over like gangbusters, and obviously with Wayne Gretzky, uh, that was a huge part of it. Um, there is arguably um, no funner place to watch an NHL game than San Jose. I mean, the fans there are fantastic. In Anaheim, being there for the playoff run a couple of years ago, that was a phenomenal place to watch a hockey game. Uh, and I think Los Angeles will be the same way when the Kings get back to, you know, some success on the ice. So it can work. But fans look at it and say, okay, let's take these brutal hockey markets in the Sun Belt and the States and let's just move them to Canada. All right, move them where? Right? Southern Ontario. Could it work? Absolutely. 100%. Uh, you put a team there, it's a cash cow, it sells out every night, gets all the coverage in the world, and a seventh Canadian NHL team in Southern Ontario works. Where else? Quebec City? Maybe. That's probably the second one. You could probably make it work in Quebec City. Halifax? No. Saskatoon? No. Is Winnipeg hungry for Winnip a franchise again? Winnipeg is... See, people that think Winnipeg can sustain hockey bother me. There is no more corporate support in Winnipeg now than there was back then. And uh, two things are working against them. They have uh, among the lowest average wage in Canada... And also the highest taxes. So that's not good. The people there don't have a lot of money, and the people that do have money are cheap. So, <laughs> I mean, this is this is a city that could not sell out, could not put 30,000 people in a stadium at an average ticket price that's a third of what the NHL would be for a CFL playoff game, right? So could they sustain hockey? Uh, would they love it? Absolutely they would. Would they be passionate about their team? Yes. Would they be able to make it work financially? No. It would not work financially in Winnipeg. God, are you dressing up at all this year? I sure am. What do you, uh, are you, can you tell us or you, is it going to be a surprise? It's a secret. It is a secret. Listeners will have to come out and see, but I will say it's pretty awesome. Cool. I um, I wonder if it's worth... Well, you mentioned uh, merchants, because now I'm thinking... Okay, so I want to be Commander William Riker, the most useless character in Star Trek for Halloween. <laughs> Ironically funny, right? Yep. Um, I do not possess the the costume uh, to do it yet. And so I was, I was thinking either I find a pattern online and pay someone to make it, which would be really expensive, I would, I would assume. Either way, I'm Can looking be. at something that's expensive. Yeah. Can I? Do you think there are going to be people who are selling stuff like this, or what? what what's the merchant area like for you? Uh, if they're not selling it, there are certainly going to be people there that can help you out. We actually have the the USS Bonaventure, which is the local Star Trek fan club, mm -hmm. uh, has a table there. 
um, uh, two tables there actually. And <laughs> there's be... so many of them; they need two tables. <laughs> uh, and they usually come out, and and yeah, certainly they'd be able to help you get a, a Riker costume together. Um, but we have uh, we have a mix of artists and uh, sort of local merchants, uh, Wizards Comics, and uh, um, is coming out. Um, uh, Rudy Gunther, who does uh, a webcomic called Dead Alive and is also putting together a game. Uh, I remember uh, Rudy used to draw a comic for The Gateway. Yes, he did. What was it called again? Death World. Death World, Death World. <laughs> yeah. I thought that comic was so funny. Fudda fudda. Because it was so <laughs> weird. Oh, Rudy, God bless you. I'm glad you're going to be there this year. Yeah. Canadians, since 2004, have sent back th- now three minority governments, or three minority parliaments. And see, I just made the mistake uh, that I'm going to talk about in a sec. Um, I think, and I think this goes... This is a mistake that starts from election night uh, when CBC, CTV, Global, all the main networks who are covering elections, which, you know, election night, you know, from their election night command center with Peter Mansbridge or Lloyd Robertson. <laughs> they should uh, do those for the like battle bridge tanks. Yeah, the battle bridge. <laughs> Separate the salsa section. The citizens <laughs> just float above the earth <laughs> while they while the, the battle bridge starts out the election. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, continue. I apologize. No, that was great. Um, I think I think from the beginning, um, I'm trying to think of my point now. <laughs> I think from the from the from election night, when you have uh, the networks all inching in to call, you know, basically call who's going to win, who's going to win. They they want to declare it. And from the election night, when we get a minority parliament, they declare it's a conservative minority government. It's a liberal minority government. When actually, no, it's a minority parliament. And the Conservatives have the most seats, or it's a minority parliament, and the Liberals have the most seats. But that does not—that sh- shouldn't necessarily equal. And it does, in the terms of the parliamentary system, it does not necessarily equal a government. I mean, we were talking about coalitions earlier. Uh, on election night last October, uh, when the networks were calling it a, you know, a conservative minority government led by Stephen Harper, that's not necessarily accurate. I mean, it could have been a, a you know, a Liberal NDP block minority government led by you know, uh, Jack Layton or something, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) we, 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 we all shuddered. Are there any malevolent ghosts in Edmonton Mm. that you know of? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because talking about the uh, Mackay Avenue school, it actually turned ugly at one point, um, with this whole, um, Ouija board business. Apparently, a spirit, whether it was Peter or not, but somebody followed this caretaker home and took over his house. And that's, I don't know, I, I, I think you, you can only put so much stock in a game that, you know, is a Ouija board brought to you by Parker Brothers. Um, <laughs> I thought it was Milton Bradley. <laughs> uh, either way, evil. Evil. So you know, I, I use your your critical brains on that one. I'm not I'm not sure, but he claims that a spirit has has followed him home to his house, uh, wreaked havoc, poltergeist type activity. So um, you know, curtains tied up in knots and family pets terrified and all kinds of really kind of destructive, crazy stuff happening in his house. At which point he had when he had had enough of it which I would think would happen fairly quickly. Uh, He just said to the spirit, look, you are not welcome here. Please go away. Uh, I I can't deal with you. At which point, 
uh, he didn't have any more experiences. So that at least that phenomenon seemed to be fairly short-lived. This this interests me, and that's why I want to go back to it. You're from Edmonton, mm-hmm. and you hated it until yes. you kind of started looking at kind of the local community aspect of, yeah. of the news and such. Uh, Jeff, you are from... Away. Away. Elsewhere. You're from you're from a province the, that will remain on You're from the Far East. But I like telling people that I lived in Winnipeg for a couple of years. It's true. Like, it gives me that West cred. credit. Yeah. yeah. But you're not originally from Edmonton and you also like Edmonton now. What what is it about Edmonton that you guys like? Coming from the perspective of someone who used to hate it because you've lived here and from someone who didn't live here to begin with. I think it's probably the same stuff that other cities have. Um Sorry to say that it, it's maybe not stuff that sets Edmonton apart as a world-class like city. And, and um, I but, enjoy hospitals and roads. <laughs> no, but I mean, we've got, you know, professional sports. Uh, so that's happening all the time, all year. And you've got lots of, you know, venues for bands and arts and all that kind of stuff. There's some cool restaurants. There's a couple of cool, like, you know, neighborhoods like White Ave, 124th, a pocket or two of Jasper, where there's just really neat stuff. And, you know, White, 124th, there's stuff that you're only going to find in Edmonton. Certain restaurants, certain uh, shops, and certain cer- yelling homeless people. <laughs> There's always these little pockets of the neighborhoods as well. Yes, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That's that, Edmonton for you, you. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it was just, um, just realizing that that stuff was here, um, and that stuff was around, and that is, you know, that there is stuff to do, that it it, it can be fun. Um, yeah, there's stuff that's not fun. There's stuff that you don't like. But I think that it was that realization that there is stuff going on. Um, and especially living, you know, in old Strathcona, that it's like, wow, I live in, you know, what could be arguably the coolest neighborhood in the city. Um, you know, and, you know, I lived, you know, somewhat near Queen West in Toronto. And there's a couple of cool neighborhoods in Winnipeg that I lived near. Um, so it's kind of like, hey, this is as good as any other city. Um, and it can be fun. I think it's just, you know, realizing that. And then meeting people online uh, and realizing there are other people who can tell you about that cool stuff, um, but can also, you know, recognize that, yeah, maybe there's stuff you avoid. I think you just came up with another tagline for the city, actually. No longer City of Champions. It's Edmonton, as good as other cities. <laughs> So you were recently featured in Avenue Magazine's Top 40 Under 40. Now, I should tell our tens of listeners, I was one of the people who nominated Carrie. <laughs> because because I like Carrie. I think he's attractive in his cheerleading outfit. And I think that um, that he's doing some great things for the city. And he's he's younger than 40 years old. And he's at the top. So, <laughs> what is it like to peak so early? <laughs> You're done, man. <laughs> uh How- First of all, how did you feel <laughs> about being the cover boy? Yeah, it was weird. It is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's it's cool, but it's weird, too. Uh, it's a know, good picture. It's a nice picture. That's what people say, yeah. They did good work, actually. The, the, oh, yeah. If you haven't read it, go to, I believe it's ad, avenueedmonton.com, and they have their, uh, their top 40 under 40 issue featured on the website right now. And every single one of the people listed there is doing something pretty damned interesting in the city. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons you were nominated. So have you gotten, uh, has has anything else happened as a result of uh, being in the magazine? Uh, I wouldn't say anything specifically has happened. Uh, You know, 
something like that, friends and family comment on it, obviously, you know, congratulations, yada, yada, uh, which is really cool. Um, that was great. I haven't had any sort of random strangers, you know, say anything. Yeah. You know, there aren't any organizations that have come up and, you know, uh, said anything about it or approached me on, on anything like that. Um, my, uh, the, up until probably actually just a few days ago, it was weird and cool. And then, uh, my cousin is actually at the, the rock and roll show at the Citadel, this, uh, the current show at the Citadel. She's oh, yeah. in that. Yeah. And so I went uh, for opening night and, and hung out afterwards to, to talk with her and, and have a drink. And, uh, <laughs> she introduced me as, the cover of Avenue to all of the, the cast and and like everybody who was there is for the the opening night party. That's awesome. It was weird, but but hilarious at the same time. But she she actually being an actress, she you know added a lot of uh, a lot of dramatic uh, flair to it as well. So she would like introduce me to someone and she would say, uh, "Yeah, have you met Carrie? Probably looks familiar, doesn't he?" Wow. And then they, she would wait, be like, "You know, he's on the cover of Avenue this month." And I would Avenue say, "Avenue this month." Next year, the Order of Canada. <laughs> How much are you hobbled by the mother company? Uh, can can is that this question... the part of the show where you try to get me fired? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we had a part of the show. And now for our new segment, Getting Our Guests Fired. <laughs> We'd right. be really good at it. If, if you can talk about it. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean... Here's what I can say about the mother company, because it's everywhere anyway. Um, CanWest Global took on a whole lot of debt, and then the bottom fell out of the economy, and it's affecting all of us. So um, I don't know anything about business. It's not for me to say what a bunch of dunderheads. Um, it is what it is. And so we're affected by that in, in that we can't spend a whole bunch of money. But we are, can't do anything about that, so it, it doesn't really... I, I set it aside. Mm -hmm. We have a set of circumstances here at the Edmonton Journal that we just have to deal with and keep doing what we're doing and keep doing it better. Like we have no choice but to keep doing, but to keep trying to do journalism better. Um, so I mean, any big corporation is a little bit like a really big boat that you're trying to to steer away from the iceberg and it takes a lot of work to change it and it's frustrating sometimes um, but a big organization has a brand name and and built in I mean people know what the Edmonton Journal is and they trust us and they um, and and we're not just some random people we're this institution serves us well and serves us poorly sometimes um, so I mean that's what the the corporate structure does it makes sometimes makes change harder to affect um, but there's so much that we can do locally anyway regardless of all that and just getting back to what you were saying before Twitter is such a gift because it gets us out from behind our walls um, and get and we get to talk to readers directly, and we get to hear and, and respond to them, and also just show that we're not that big um, monster called mainstream media, but actually just normal people who have kids and and um, are just as ticked off about the potholes as anybody else, and 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 want our our city to work better, and and aren't just you know 
leeches and ambulance chasers and all the bad stereotypes that uh, that surround reporters and editors. Now, of course, we have, I know you have cats. Yeah, I have a cat, yes. You have a cat. I have a dog, and uh, my dog understands Christmas. I, I need you to comprehend what I am saying. Okay, please explain. He, he knows that it is Christmas. He, he understands that when the tree is up and all the presents are out and the stockings are full, that it is Christmas time. And he gets super excited because he's going to get stuff. He's like a little kid. It's unbelievable. Last time we did Christmas uh, morning at my parents' place, uh, Nita was sleeping in the guest bed, and she could hear all night Zach, our dog, uh, going up to my parents' room, checking on them for a little while, and then down the stairs and into the guest room (laughs) to check on her, and then down into the basement to check on me, and then back up to the main floor to go into the living room to make sure everything is still there for Christmas. And he'd go back into my parents' room. Like endlessly. And, and, and no, hold on. And he'd stop for like 15 minutes. He'd be sleeping. And then he'd start again and he'd make his round. And he would make these rounds all the time, like through the night, because he was super excited. And then when people started to wake up, oh boy, it's Christmas time. And we have to open his presents first. <laughs> like he has his own stocking full of stuff. He doesn't get like wrapped presents. Yeah. But he has his own stocking full of stuff. And like I pull his stocking down and he's ready to go and he's pulling stuff out of it. He actually pulls he, stuff out. Oh, yes. He'll go into his stocking and pull stuff out. He's uh, adorable. But also basically like a kid on Christmas morning. I, I'm kind of a fence sitter. I'm, I'm caught in between uh, the the old school training from even those of your era, and then all of the all the new kids are coming in. I'm old enough to have an era. The, the Rosenhart era. Every, every editor <laughs> yeah, in chief gets his own era. Bullshit. Come on. <laughs> My era was a Star Trek obsessed era. By the way, here's a question for you: Do you think Lieutenant Commander Data would have been more popular if he had been called a mandroid instead of an android? Maybe with the ladies only. Think about it. Anyways. Uh, there's a, there's another journalist who works in our newsroom who's also been abroad before. That would mm-hmm. be Don Lawson. He's yes. worked overseas. Um, and I know just recently. He should be with, there now. There but, you go. Yeah. He should be, and he's not? He's in, uh, he worked in Haiti. Which is what I was actually going to mention is the earthquake just happened in Haiti. Don, the first pictures were coming in and Don was like, I I wish I was there right now. I wish I was there right on the ground. (laughs) Have you ever had had an instance like that happen where you've just seen something happen and been like, I should be right there? I was very close to going when this this problem with uh, Manuel's liar happened in, uh, when was it? I think it was about July. Last year was when the Honda, when sounds right. Yeah, when when the army arrested him in his pajamas and he fled the country, dispelling the Banana Republic uh, <laughs> sort of stereotypes <laughs> yeah. right there. Well done, boys. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was. I I think I was a week off when that happened. Uh, I spoke to Leslie Primo here about that, and she said, mm, "I don't know about that. It's not something that we can really do." And I said, "Look, I'm probably going to go." Um, I've got everything ready to go. And she said, okay, well, if it's still a story in a week's time, then do it. But uh, it, it, it actually wasn't. It sort of started to go down a bit. So, uh, And the urge to leave my family to go down there, and uh, um, I, I suppose, did go away. 
Yeah. Yeah, but if it's Haiti, Haiti's a bit different. Haiti's still a story, and if, if and it if, might continue to be for a while. Actually. And if there was another hurricane, Mitch, in that part of the world, uh, yeah, definitely. The beginning of the sort of women-centered sex shops started in the the mid '80s mm-hmm. in the states. Um, here, we didn't start seeing them until the early '90s, mid '90s, um, and mostly out east. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a couple starting to start up in Toronto. We had one in Vancouver that started. I'm not sure when they started up. Um, so 20 years ago, no. Um, 10 years ago, probably. Yeah. Because it was starting to get there where people were really talking about it and the party um, idea had come up. Um, we live in a pretty conservative province. Yes, we do. Um, I do think that Edmonton in particular is much less conservative than people think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as I started the store, I had so many people come in and say, I'm so glad you're here. Finally, we finally have one. We finally have a good sex shop. Well, and so there's people who want it. Yeah. And the reason that, that, uh, that we invited you on the show is because I've heard the, your company's name, the, ta- the Traveling t- uh, Tickle Trunk, which is obviously a tongue twister <laughs> It's hard for to me, say, yes. <laughs> but um, at least three people have told me about it and, oh, and, and gushed about it, actually. So. That's great. Good to hear. I'm I'm realizing now that a lot of the things that we're saying could, could be taken as innuendo. You know, everyone's gushing oh, about it. Anyways. Everything's an innuendo when you work in this industry. <laughs> you guys must have <laughs> so much fun. We do. Yes. We had a really good time when we were um, actually putting the store together and we were like building the shelves and everything because every single thing you say is some sort of sexual <laughs> innuendo. I'm putting up the shelves now. <laughs> Ooh, that's dirty. Yeah, it does sound dirty. <laughs> I would watch an Iron Chef movie. I'll go on record saying that. I would watch Iron Chef the movie. I would watch the hell out of that movie. I would, wa- I would watch the origin of, of the chairman, like how he comes to take a bite out of that pepper at the beginning. And it would and, have to be the Japanese actor who played chairman. And I'm pretty confident uh, when I say that that would be a truly epic tale. The only thing I know about the dude who played uh, the chairman, it played. The, what was he called? Was he actually called the chairman of I, Kitchen uh, Stadium? Well, I anyways, so, yeah. that dude. I remember reading this fact because I was I was Wikipediaing him for some reason because I, w- I used to really love the Japanese Iron Chef, and uh, they were like, "Yes, he was the first Japanese man to play Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar." And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." And then they were like, "Yes, Jesus Christ Superstar in Japan." And I was like, "Okay, so you're gonna stage Jesus Christ Superstar? Where are you gonna find actors if you're doing it in Japan? <laughs> hmm, maybe in Japan." <laughs> And uh, guess what, everybody? Yeah. You know who lives in Japan? Japanese people. So yeah, okay. The chairman of Kitchen Stadium was the first Japanese man to play Jesus Christ. I, that would in Jesus Christ Superstar, which would be impressive right. on Broadway. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of. Well, whatever. I mean, you've never played Jesus. So. That's well. I feel was, like I was chairman every day. Chairman Kaga. Kaga. Yeah, that was And he used to always. I love the way the Japanese speak because they use certain phrases at the beginning of their statements. Particularly, I don't know if it's. The way that, that they they tell stories or something like that, but every every time Chairman Kaga was talking about how he came to Kitchen Stadium with this week's challenger, he'd always start every story with "If memory serves me right." <laughs> of course, in Japanese. Uh, anyways, <laughs> what the hell yeah. were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about Julie and Julia, I think. <laughs> and then uh, we but... started talking about Iron Chef. I love this show. This is this is a little off topic, but it's it follows the train of conversation, and I'm I'm curious. Do you think that it is a problem in today's kind of society 
how careful public officials need to be speaking their mind. Like how it's almost it's almost uh, a sin for them to have an opinion or to state an opinion because it will be dissected. It will be picked apart. It will be blown out of proportion or out of context. Is that is that detrimental to our public servants? Like, is that detrimental to their ability to lead us and to function in the in the capacity of being our, our leaders? I think it can be. I think sometimes um, a fear of what you're going to say or what will happen because of something you said maybe holds people back from being so vocal. But on the other hand, it also gives an opportunity, I think, to elected officials to really take the lead and you know, for Councillor Iverson or Councillor Henderson or the mayor himself to say we need to densify Edmonton, even though there's a lot of interests who don't want to hear that because they can build cheap houses on cheap land at the edge of the city. You know, I, I think the ability for them to come out and say that and to not really have anything too negative happen is just a result of the their willingness to do that fairly consistently. I think it's maybe more of an issue for people who don't speak up very often and then when they do and they say something very controversial, mm-hmm. there there's fallout. Um, and I guess in a way, if we focus too much on what they say, then we're not getting to the real problems that we need to be focusing on. And in that way, I agree that it could potentially hold us back. But I think, you know, some politicians uh, actually do a fairly good job of it. The idea of the whole TEDx program was, and this is this is why I kind of think the brilliant part was, they wanted to take the TED experience, which was before was, you know, I think it was like, so it was five thousand dollars to go to an actual TED event. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. So, but oh you're gosh. but you're hearing me speak it. You know, the, yeah, like oh, Al yeah. Gore's and, um, but it's like people still want to spread ideas, be inspired, and so they said, well, take the TED brand and run your own sorts of events, kind of within it, uh, and then they give you some parameters. So things like you know, it's got to be the eighteen minute TED format, TED Talk format. Um, there, we're limited in terms of how many people can actually kind of show up at it. Yeah, explain that to me. So your first event, you could only have 100? Yeah. And then what, are, what can you do for subsequent events? We can do as many as we want now. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it, it, the, the idea is that, you know, you're proving that, that A, you can run, a, run an event. Um, and, but we are also kind of d- debating now um, how much bigger we would actually go with it. Yeah, I wonder. You know, I, I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to go to like a, you know, five or six hundred sort of size because you know you it, i think a big part of it is that intimacy that the attendees get you get to mix with the speakers and you don't get that when you have like you know three four hundred people at, at an event yeah um and so that's why we do things like the live webcast so people can still you know kind of uh get involved there i think we did a really good job this year in terms of the makeup of the people that actually came um it was great because i think i didn't know 80 percent of them which is great neither did i it yeah was phenomenal. and i think that that's always an awesome thing like anytime we do an event whether it's an art scene or startup or something, when i see when i see like people that i don't know i love that because yeah. that's what you want because we know we're then reaching new people the best part about camta is that within one day patients would be mobile again. How is that even possible? Because you've just had your hip replaced. Yeah. Or hips. Uh, or hips. Yeah. Replaced. So th- that means that with assistance, people can get up and walk around for a short period of time? Yeah. Like I could get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, Ecuadorians are really strong people. They're mm-hmm. very, very short. Like <laughs> the ladies, some of the pictures you can see are hilarious. The really? ladies are 
two heads shorter than me. And you just, you feel so tall when you're there. <laughs> so some of the taller people, um, one of the pediatric surgeons, Mark Moreau, he started, he was one who started this all with, with his wife, Barb. Um, he's, I mean, he's probably like six foot five, something like that. So in, he used to hit his head on the lights when he was operating. <laughs> There's pictures. It's pretty funny. Um, so to, to be with these people is you just feel very tall, <laughs> um, which is kind of opposite from here. So it, it was a nice feeling. It was a good feeling. But these people are very, very, very strong. They have such a work ethic because they work work at, from their homes. They're, a lot of them are housewives. We had a lot of women come through. There are a lot of housewives that just constantly cook, clean, and take care of their kids. So for them to be immobile for more than a few hours is unimaginable. So they were just eager to get out and eager to go and... Um, it was really cool to see. So they actually wanted, they, they helped us help them. So we worked with the physiotherapist and that's why they went down. The nurses did their job and took care of the dressings and made sure, you know, the vitals were all okay. And the physiotherapists, as soon as they could, they started working with them. So with the adult patients, for example, um, we started walking with a walker for them first. And then once they were okay with the walker, we'd start them on crutches. And in order to be able to go home, they had to be able to climb up and down the stairs. So, and Nobody went home within the same day. There was, there was one lady that was really close to going home within the day. It was crazy. It depends what time you have your surgery as well, right? But almost a lot of people went home the next day. So 24 hours later, they were sent home. Probably about four months ago. I don't even remember the timeline, so don't hold me to that. But a while ago, I got an email from a guy who's like, hey, I have this pirate radio show. You or this radio station. You can't hear it outside of like a four block radius it's near southgate and i would like to play episodes of the unknown studio uh on some night and i was like whatever <laughs> sure good for you not thinking about the legality because i don't know and as we as scott and i discussed before the show ignorance of the law does not absolve you from uh being handcuffed <laughs> at some point i don't think we're in we're in any trouble i mean i probably uh well, and our show is anyone can listen to it for free on the internet. I mean, well, it's... and so this this is the question, okay? I I can understand a a radio maven who just likes the technology, the idea of broadcasting. But there are a dozen ways you can stream yourself on the web for free. For free, that is legal. And and attracting an audience on the web maybe not so simple, but it's getting easier with with social media and stuff like that. The, oh the, yes, the barrier of entry is low. So, oh yes. So. So what was this guy thinking? Scott? I don't have an answer. I wish you did. I'm not omniscient. Now, the way that he was discovered was, uh, and I don't know this guy from a hole in the ground. I just got an email from him once. I'm sure he's very nice. I hope he doesn't get into a whole pile of trouble about this. But he made a huge error. He talked to the media. And uh, he apparently did an interview with uh, Fletcher Kent from Global Television here in Edmonton. And, and... My understanding of it is that he did this interview and then asked that the interview would not air, which is kind of dumb, right? Because if I'm a journalist and I'm going out there and I'm spending my time interviewing someone, I'm going to try and make damn sure that a story comes out of it so I'm not wasting my time. So a global published a story. I don't know if it was on television. I don't know if it was just on the web. It no longer exists. Like I can't find it anywhere. 
how do you stand out and do you stand out and will you ever and is there a point and and then yet I have these days and someone will send me an email that's like oh I heard your song and I really liked it or someone gave me your CD and I'm going through the same thing or something so there there's usually like this weird way that somehow I feel okay on the days where and I have a lot of them I have a lot of wonderful days and I have a lot of days where it's a bit I don't know you you wonder and talking about doing music full-time when you start thinking about maybe wanting to eventually go in that direction um that the thoughts come up even more right it's like well are you really good enough do you think you are and are enough people gonna listen to you so i i i think a lot of stumbling blocks probably come internally yeah i think a lot of people feel that way and and the way that i've explained it to myself so that i can feel really good about it is that really smart conscientious people think that way and i'm not trying to be funny i'm serious i think that that if you're really passionate about what you do and, and and you're you're trying to go about it in a you know sort of methodical way you want to be successful at it you're going to have those days where you're just like god what am i doing this i don't feel like i'm good enough and and then and then like you said it's almost magical the way something or someone will come out of the blue it's a very human thing i think to feel great sometimes and to feel awful sometimes i think that's one thing that really kind of binds us together and if we never had the days when we felt awful. We probably would never improve. Yeah. And we'd probably be the types of people that no one wanted to be around anyway. Yeah. And and it's interesting because there's, there's some artists that I've really looked up to in the city and otherwise that I've gotten to chat with. And uh, I sometimes ask them, like, do you, I watch you on stage and you're amazing and you're so confident. Do you ever have days where you don't feel great? And they're like, all the time. You know, for a lot of people, it's every time they step on stage. And I've had people say to me, well, you look like you're doing great. Like, I would never think that you think that. And it's kind of like this big, like, bond wave of relief that goes over everyone where it's like, hey, you feel that way too? Yay, okay. we're all insecure. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> now, you, you released a book a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was called The Laptop Diaries, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a collection of, of columns from the journal that you had From the Edmonton the journal. journal, yeah. Now, I, th- so I should tell our listeners, the reason that I know Linda is because... Whether she remembers it or not, and I'm surprised that I do, and you'll understand why in a moment, <laughs> me and my partner from OilersNation.com went to a hockey game a couple of years ago, uh, and we, we were in the club section. We got some great tickets, and we were consuming alcoholic beverages in a staggering quantity. <laughs> and, I, and we saw Linda hanging out down there with her. She had a stack of books with her and some Sharpies. And you were I had one her. last box yeah, to sell. That's right, and, and she was selling her books. So me and my partner bought, I think, seven of them. Yes, and I we was made quite you, delighted. And we made you sign them all to the Oilers Nation, Love yeah. Linda Steele, or something yeah. like that. Well, we should say, first of all, the reason that we were even there was because this book was a 100% fundraiser for the women's shelters. That's right. So I had my last little grouping of books that I'm trying to get rid of, 5,000 books before Christmas. And I said to the Oilers, would you mind if I came to a game and tried to sell them there? And they were really gracious. They let me go on as a guest in the intermission. And I was interviewed in their fancy little glass studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then people came down like you and bought books. Uh, and I had three or four girlfriends running around. That's right. Three or four good-looking women. That was very helpful. Going up to <laughs> drunk men who were <laughs> on their fourth cup of beer. Would you please buy a book? And you did. Seven of them. Why Edmonton? I, you know what, I don't, 
I don't know. I there's something about this city that I couldn't pinpoint. I'm born and raised here. Um, when I go away, I've traveled like the last four or five years. I all of my vacations have been pointing towards major cities in North America. Um, but I still love coming back to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. There's something about snow on May 29th that I laugh about and it makes me appreciate the city rather than shake my fist in the air. Um, it's just, I've got family here. We've got a great community of friends here. Um, but it's also an area that has, especially in my line of work, a, an amazing potential. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much that we can do and so much that we can build in this city. And really, like, you look at the success of a, lo- of a lot of places, and, and my industry's definitely not an exception of that, of places that are, that are doing okay, an, an okay job. They're pretty average, and, and they're doing very well. So it's an average concept or an average execution, but it's, uh, it's, it's profitable or yeah. it's, it's doing good things. And, and it's, all, it's about sticking it in and, and making the city better than, than what it is now. And it's a great city now, but we're just, I want to be a part of, of making it and pushing it to better. And, that, and that's not just in my industry. Like it's, I don't r- only care about Edmonton's food scene. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's about the city at large, kind of, so. One day, one day ch- I'll be like Chief O'Brien, the only enlisted person on the start. A, a surly Irishman forced that, to clean up Also that everybody. as well, yes. Just like our friend here, Tom O'Leary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. O'Healy. <laughs> Tom O'Healy. That's me. <laughs> I scrubbed the decks. Yeah, he's swabbing the decks of the good ship Empire. <laughs> you don't see those guys, right? I mean, you don't see the guys on the, on the Enterprise. Somebody keeps that place clean. It's pretty clean. There's no dust, no nothing. Do you think that it's like a... I, I picture that people clean the ship when everyone's sleeping, and they do it in a musical number style wearing actual sailor outfits. You're like in the Navy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah kind of yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Like the HMS Pinafore or something. Seems, it, yeah, for sure. It makes sense. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I couldn't obviously. imagine it really working out any other way. <laughs> Oh, boy. Might have their iPods in their ears. I mean, you never really know. <laughs> and of course, the iPod was still. Well, it's the future, right? Yeah. That's actually what spaceships will be called. <laughs> oh my God, it's an iPod. <laughs> it's it's an iPod. iPod. It's the iPod Apple iShip. <laughs> the Apple iShip. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878.
TheEdmontonian.com applied directly to your internet. TheEdmontonian.com applied directly to your internet. TheEdmontonian.com applied directly to your internet. TheEdmontonian.com available on the internet. So uh, we should take a moment on this very illustrious occasion to thank some of the people who've allowed us to get this far. Yeah, I mean, 50 episodes is a milestone, and and uh, though we'd like to say we did it on our own, we really did. No, and and I mean, we're we're still grounded enough that we can admit. I mean, a uh, hundred episodes, maybe at that point, the little people won't matter anymore. Yeah, exactly. But for now, uh, we would like to thank a few people. First and foremost, of course. The Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches saw fit to sponsor us when no one else would. They support us by linking to our site, by talking to us and about us, by giving us uh, timely journalistic advice. That's right. And then, of course, our second sponsor, uh, our friends over at the Hogwarts of Edmonton's digital media scene, Guru Digital Arts College. Yeah, they, uh, they help us out... Uh, Gosh, every month with resources, and these guys are all actually sort of mentors, even though they're sponsors. And, and uh, you know, we wouldn't have our portable home studio without the support of Guru, as well as those fine folks at the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Edmonton's sex-positive store. And uh, they really are uh, tremendous supporters of us. We are very tremendous supporters of them as well. And uh, you will actually uh, have heard from them in a little segment in this episode, in addition to, of course, Brenda being back on the show as a previous guest. So we're very happy to have their support and the support of all of our sponsors, uh, both over the last 50 episodes and uh, looking forward to continuing their support into the next 50 episodes. That's right. And on that note, if you do want to sponsor The Unknown Studio, send us an email, the show at theunknownstudio.ca and uh, we'll see how we can help each other out. Here are some more ridiculous clips from The Unknown Studio. What point do you believe heroes jump the shark? Uh, Brittany, do you even think it jumped the shark? Oh, goodness, yes. Okay. It jumped the shark, and then it went back and jumped it again. Yeah. And then it went back and jumped it again. They actually and, yeah. they actually had to get a permit for the number of sharks they had in one confined space. Some sharks were harmed in the, the jumping. jumping of that series. <laughs> well, I believe that they, they lined up a whole bunch of sharks and then had Hero jump over a whole bunch of them just to get them out of the way. And then when he was done, he said, Yatta! Because that was... <laughs> That was his thing. He was very adorable. Yeah. But I, you know what? He's probably my least favorite character. I hated all his storylines pretty much. And probably the biggest jump the shark moment was when he went back into the past. Just in the second. Oh, yeah. When season. he was in, in like feudal, feudal Japan. Japan. Yeah. I, I like time travel, but I also hate time travel. I, I really enjoy time travel. I feel like it's a great way to spend a weekend. I think time travel is. Uh, a bit of a crutch that a lot of series rely on too much. And Star Trek is the prime <laughs> offender here. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But Hero's definitely used as a, uh, as a bit of a crutch there, too. I mean, Hero's ability to travel through time was an integral plot point in the first season. And then later on, it was just like, well, what else can we have him do? 
well, then why don't we ever see super cool Hero with a sword, you know? Hero has always been this really sniveling, kind of overly sensitive hero, mm-hmm. which Peter's already that. We don't need another one. <laughs> Well, they wanted to get someone who wasn't American to be the sniveling big baby weirdo. So Was it offending American sensibilities? Could have been. Oh, uh, yes. I actually really liked Peter Petrelli. I secretly wish that I had been the cheerleader so that he could have saved me. Now, you refer to yourself as an old man <laughs> when it comes to video gaming, uh, who's uh, deeply set in his ways. And uh, I know for a fact that uh, that you're a big fan of, uh, you even mentioned earlier, in fact, that you're you're a big fan of like some of the older school games. I collect big, them actually. A big nostalgia gamer, basically. Yeah. What are you, what do you think are like the great classics of video games? If you could go back and say this was the golden era, what would you say? The Super Nintendo, I think is the, I, I mean, uh, this a lot of it is nostalgia, um, but I love that system. And the reason the system was so great is because they had so many great games, games that controlled perfectly, that were challenging. Um, because of the technology, they a lot of them started to tell interesting stories, um, and there was a lot of variety. And variety is key. Um, too much of one kind of game on a system, and you know you're going to limit your audience. With the Super Nintendo. There were so many different kinds of games, all of which, I mean, so many of which were of, of high quality that there was just, there was something for everybody and for a person who likes a lot of different kinds of games, and I fall into that category. I, I like pretty much every kind of game out there, save most fighters. Even There's even a few fighters I really like. Um, it was just the perfect system and remains the perfect system. And I, I, I collect games. A vintage games, and um, my focus has been on the Super Nintendo and the library. So, I would agree with you. I will go on record saying that I also am a huge fan of the Super Nintendo. I did not have a huge library of Super Nintendo games, but I rented the hell <laughs> out of Super Nintendo <laughs> games too. when I was young. And so I played a great number of them. And I agree, the, the library was very deep for the Super Nintendo. Way, way deeper than it was for the Sega Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, the Sega CD there was like eight oh. games for. I, w- I would argue that there is no system that has a deeper library um, than that system does. Even um, today. Even today. Agreed. But the bands haven't been, they don't have the tools unless they're very, very uh, effective at promoting themselves. They don't have the tools to build their fan base and to expand beyond their immediate friends and family. So, Sending out invites on Facebook doesn't guarantee that you're going to have any success. You have to be savvy at using social media. You have to use Twitter in an engaging way. You, you, know, you have to uh, have some profile, some visibility to your local market. And, um, and the tools that are out there, the big social media tools, really aren't working for, for the musicians. Well, and the level of effort required to maintain those things is it's significant. Mm-hmm. Like... If you've got a full-time job and you're really trying to have a go at being a, a, a band that plays often in a, in a particular market, yeah. you got to be on top of that. That's and right. God, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. You so, got to spend an hour, an hour and a half a day on, on social oh, media with your business. Musicians sure. have to understand that they are operating a business. There may be a sole proprietorship or a small, you know, but that's it, it, they have to take a business approach. And the problem is that that is usually the opposite of the creative 
aspect. Business is not art. <laughs> well, there is an art but to business. But art can be business. And there is the art of business, but yeah. that's another podcast entirely. Yeah. So. so, you know, this, that's our goal is to, put, is to put the tools into musicians' hands that allow them to connect with their local market so they can have the visibility and they can have access to tools like our e-ticketing system. Um, and, and, you know, like uh, putting events in our calendar, which is then syndicated out to a number of different places. Oldstrathcona.ca uses our pulls from our calendar. So you can see all the events that are happening in live music venues up and down White Avenue. You can see Fed by YG Live on Oldstrathcona.ca. So I walked in there and I did some uh, jumping lunges in my Super Dave outfit. <laughs> And there was about there's about ten producers or, or um, you know casting guys and so on in there and uh, looked absolutely exhausted. They were already done for the day, you could tell. So they basically the first thing they asked was your shout out. So when you start on Wipeout and you see on TV that they say something really silly and then they start start the course. So I was originally going to do this with my twin sister. She backed out. So my original shout out was Twintastic Boombastics, which really made no sense because I came in there by myself. But I said it anyways, and I did like a jumping lunge while I said it, and then you could hear my sister in the background screaming. So they got it, and they laughed. And then they asked me for my victory dances, and I had three, <laughs> just just in case. I wanted options, so I gave like a hands-down low kind of victory dance, a hands-down high, and then like around the world craziness. And then they wanted to know why I picked three, and I, I just let them know. Well, if another contestant decides to go down low, I got one up high, and so on, right? <laughs> yeah. So just made them laugh with that, try to be creative. Told, asked me if I had any nicknames, asked me what's the craziest thing I've done, um, asked me if I wanted to be famous, and probably asked me that question five times. And so I finally said to them, if I wanted to be famous, I'd learn how to sing or I'd learn how to dance and go on another reality show. I wouldn't be getting my ass kicked on Wipeout. Yeah. So they thought that was funny. Um, another one was, what would you do with the money? So I said, hookers and blow. And then I said, just kidding. And then I said, clearly I'd give it to the church because I want to be closer to God. And then I said, just kidding. And then I, I said something just totally normal, like, oh, I'd pay my parents back or something like that. And they thought that was great. So just made them laugh. Yeah. So what is the, the, the prize that you get if you win at Wipeout? You win a whole whopping fifty thousand dollars. Nice. However, the show's taped in Argentina. That's where their international course is. So, however much the Canadian government government decides to take from you when you get home, and the Argentina government decides to take from you when you leave, who knows how much you really win? So, you're really in in it for the experience of, of being on the show, not because it's you know being on the show, but you want to go through the course. You want to spend a week in Argentina, really. Absolutely. They said they take about 200 people and um, they tape a whole uh, season's worth for a week in Argentina. So whether or not you tape on the first day, awesome. You have the rest of the week in Argentina. But who doesn't want to just sit there with their friends and everyone's laughing at you because you're getting your ass kicked on big balls, you're getting your face punched in, you're throwing yourself in some water. That's something you could just check off a life list. Yeah. Just sheer fun. <laughs> What did you think of the new film? What did you think of J.J. Abrams' reboot of the Star Trek franchise? Well, it, it was basically um, a, a, a terrible script made very watchable by the charisma of its cast and director. Which basically describes many Star yes, Treks. Yes, a good portion of Star Trek. Like yeah. at least 63%. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your favorite part about the movie, aside from the, just the cast's charisma? Were there, in, were there moments in there that you really thought were great? I, I, I like that they... Spoilers. 
actually had the balls to blow up Vulcan. I mean, I, that sort of surprised me. That was huge. Although it kind of broke the story a little bit, but uh, it's eh. okay. Yeah. It was it was them willing to uh, put their own stamp on the universe and mm-hmm. say, you know what? No, this is our own thing now. It's different. It's mm-hmm. different. Deal with it. They might not go back to the 1980s and get a couple of humpback whales. and. But that doesn't mean they're not going to have awesome time travel space adventures. Yeah. No, that exists in a parallel universe now. If you want to k- keep following that universe, you can play Star Trek Online, uh, where it is uh, continuing the adventures of the blah, blah, blah. Have you played Star Trek Online? I have not I have played Star Trek Online. Have you, Scott? <laughs> Lord, no. Have, having the last performance of Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Uh, Spock. That's, that's on Star Trek Online. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, truly his last performance was in Vulcan, Alberta earlier this mm. year. That's true. Yeah. I think that uh, people that criticize Stephanie Meyer may be very well envious of her success. She has managed to grasp the, the interest of the, the major public out there. Yeah. She's made major money. Good for her, you know? Well, I think that was part of the reason why there was resentment for Harry Potter when it first came out, too. Exactly. Was there were a lot of people who were resentful of J.K. Rowling coming up with something and making a mint off of it. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere. Out of whole cloth. And I think there were a lot of people who were just like, that could have been me. And so ran her down for it. So I, th- I think that's... I think that in that sense, Harry Potter and Twilight are kind of cut from the same mold. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that people view the authors the same way. I haven't read Twilight either, and I've not seen any of the movies. Um, my girlfriend loves them. And she actually said the reason that she likes the books isn't because they're well-written, because they're not. They're scant on character details, which allows a reader to insert themselves into mm-hmm. the character of... I think it's Bella. She's the main mm-hmm. character. Yeah. And you then get acted upon by Team Edward or Team Jacob or whatever it happens to be. So... So, you know, there's definitely something to outstanding writing. And it sounds like there's something to less popular writing, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say the same thing about J.K. Rowling. I think that she's put a lot of thought into her characters. I agree. I do like how she writes. I think she's very vivid. So I wouldn't put, I shouldn't say this. I haven't read Twilight, so I'm just going about what I've heard. Sure. I read it. (laughs) Okay. Oh, we we get to hear your opinion (laughs) next. Actually, no, I mean... it was interesting because I had a long, a long uh, train journey last year, and I said, okay, I'll take Twilight with me, I'll read it, and I probably won't read any of the other ones, but I'll read the first one. And I read it, and it's a very fast read, it's a very lightweight read, it's a read where I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm a 58-year-old woman, I'm reading a book that's aimed at a 14-year-old girl, <laughs> and I can tell, and it's fine. I mean, it's good for the audience, and that's all I have to say. It's, it's not great literature by any stretch of the imagination and it won't it'll stand the test of time in that (coughs) the audience of 14 year olds is always going to be there there'll be a new generation of Uh 14 year olds Uh coming along and they'll probably catch on to it the same way as the harry potter books have stayed around with us since you know the first generation of harry potter fans are now in their 20s 30s whatever but you know let's say what you will i think twilight really is a love story with dangerous men and i think for teenager teenage girls especially that's very appealing so you know again good for stephanie meyer and if it gets just one teenager to read then it's been worth it (laughs) (laughs) okay 
I cannot make any of this real. You reality. just need to round up the not idea technical people around here. That's what you need to do. Honestly, you know, lock them in your basement. Yeah. You should pimp yourself out as a as a software muse. Really, I think you could. I'm plugged into what people want. Yeah. Even if they don't know it yet, yeah. like sounds of Adam <laughs> what is doing it doing animal noises <laughs> that they can play on their. We can record some right now. Yeah, just mention name an animal. Duck. Giraffe. Actually, giraffes don't make noise. Really, I, I was. No, they do. They do. They 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 do. So they You're just I, saying that so that you can I make a sound. This, I just they made make a sound, sound that sounds like. <laughs> That's a terrible sound. Fish. Loop. Wombat. They're, there they're related to donkeys. That's okay. why. That's why they sound like. Uh, that. Adam is not aware of what a wombat is, <laughs> for the record. Oh. You, they, right. you, they're those things that are on on farms, right? It's a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> no, your wombat. <laughs> what does a wombat we just sound we like? lost like ten listeners when no. you, when you made those noises? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I actually I think one I made a, the giraffe sound like a sex offender. <laughs> Like I had like a chill go up my spine when you made it. It was terrible. Like, we shouldn't reinforce the stereotypes here. Yeah, yeah. Not all giraffes are sex offenders, and neither am I, uh, for that matter. What is your least favorite subject to teach? Grammar. Ah, and it's it's such an important subject because it's, it is such an important thing to learn. It so is. But the second you say we're going to learn grammar now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember having to learn grammar in sort of relearn it in my English 101 class because our, my class just wasn't very proficient at it. I don't think they teach it well in high school. I don't. I, yeah. Oh, and I work in a business where grammar is so, so important. Yeah. And you would be surprised at how many people who share my profession who have just absolutely no clue who yeah. like mix up their theirs and their theirs and have improper apostrophes and commas and it's just like really really you you write for a living and you're <laughs> how how do you do this it's infuriating have, have we reached the downfall of grammar with the uh, the arrival of word processing tools that tell you when you're spelling things wrong but word processing tools aren't smart no they're, no, not. they're not and they can only they can only act as a crutch so much because again it, it can't decide what there you're trying to use not it can, always, it can no. best guess yeah. and it might best guess wrong yeah. and at that point you need to know if you're ref you're referring to their hat or it is a hat that they are going to put on you know and there are people who just don't know the difference i think my my biggest um, pet peeve right now is our growing pet peeve is predictive text. Yes, I hate it's, it. It's it's absolutely it's both pathetic and hysterical, especially the number of <laughs> tweets that I see. Yeah, uh, I when I I once tweeted that I was live tweeting something, and then I hit enter without thinking, <laughs> and it posted that I was live teething something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of your guys' uh, favorite Halloween memories then? If if I have the terrible crotch story, there's got to be something out there that's better. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that that one is definitely uh, a memory of being a werewolf with, you know, <laughs> hair glued to your face with white glue. <laughs> definitely not the most comfortable, but um 
I remember as a little kid went out trick-or-treating with my brother and we found a, uh, a prosthetic hanging fake eyeball that hung out of his, his uh, and he must have been maybe nine or ten years old. And uh, so we had that glued to his face. By this time we discovered spirit gum. So, <laughs> uh, you know, had that glued to his face. And, and again, it was one of the things. He came back with, with a pillowcase full and, and, you know, packed it away and, and went out and grabbed some more. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. What about you? I remember when uh, I was younger, uh, I, I lived in St. Albert when I was younger. And uh, in our neighborhood, just uh, down the Crescent that uh, went off the main street we were on, there was a house that went way all out for Halloween every year. They had a coffin in the front with a guy dressed as a vampire in it who would not jump out all the time, but like every other group of kids, especially for the older kids, he would and they'd shriek. It was great. Uh, And I remember that I was young enough, I might have been five or six years old, that I was terrified to go up that walkway because I was afraid that the vampire was going to jump out and grab me or something. And uh, my dad thought it was humorous but was like, okay, well, we'll just pass along to the to the next house. And I was like, okay, because I don't want to be scared by the vampire. You skipped the house? So we skipped the house. But then the guy who was at the door who was dressed as a shambling mummy monster <laughs> shambled out of the house, down the lawn, and after me with a big bowl of candy going, <laughs> to give me candy because he was like, oh, that little kid, he's totally skipping the house because of the scary vampire. He needs some candy. So he sought me out and gave me candy. And that was really nice. And scary. It was, yes. it was a little surprising and, and frightening, but, but at the, like looking back on it, I was like, that was really awesome. It was totally something I would have done had now I been that, that guy. gone through therapy, you're okay with it. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you and I know that I don't wake up in the night assuming that there's a, a mummy trying to Feed force candy, candy. <laughs> force candy on God, me. God forbid. <laughs> you know, wanted to take away that excuse that television stations especially, um, because we're doing video, but there's no excuse for you not to be doing a local. There's no excuse for people not to be doing this kind of stuff because the technology is so simple now and it, it could put it into your hands that, yeah, here we are shooting sort of a guerrilla election show from our living room. So why aren't, you know, all the TV stations doing a show that night? And that was kind of one of the criticisms is that there wasn't a tremendous amount of local coverage of what is what was rather arguably uh, the biggest news night of the year in Edmonton. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, there might be a provincial election that comes along or a federal election, but on a very local scale, yeah, every three years, this is your biggest local uh, day. I mean, other things could happen along the way that, you know, are unpredicted. Uh, but, you know, of a set every three years, you know, it's coming kind of news event. Yeah, it's the biggest one that happens locally and that people aren't there doing something live when, you know, that's what they kind of do on a regular basis, it is disappointing. And that was certainly, I think, why people enjoyed what we were doing, and they were happy to see somebody, I don't know, in some way step in to fill that role. And I guess there's a bit of that just to say, like, yeah, the technology is pretty simple and we can do it, Um, and we come, you know, with a lot of background and experience, professionalism to do it. Um, So I think that that was something that people liked. I heard down the grapevine, and also you kind of alluded to the fact, that you have uh, some other projects in mind as well, outside of middlemen. Yes. Um, Would you care to explain? And I I will say it might have to do with a subject that Adam is very fond of. (sighs) 
like the end of the world and zombies. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have well, they're they're our own brand of dead creatures. A big a big trick in our film though was that they're not they're not the traditional zombie. They're you might not even call them, but you don't know what they are, and that's a big thing in the film. It's it's a popular genre right now. Yeah, it and, is. And but I really do like uh, I enjoy I enjoy a good action film, and I enjoy good characters. And I came up with the concept of some a community and some fellas that all wanted to be in the military, but they never quite make it because one was out of shape, one had asthma, one had a criminal record, and the other stuck around to help them out. And these five dum-dums are now kind of stuck in this po- post-apocalyptic world, and they're trying to keep the community alive. And the one thing is, they're all a bunch of rednecks. And what rednecks got? They got machine guns. Of course. Of course they do. That's, a, <laughs> that's actually a line in the film Duh. where someone says, where'd you guys get all these guns? We're like, what do you mean? Well, normal people don't walk around with automatic weapons. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> and uh, and, Where are and you so from? it's it's, it's yeah. about these characters and sounds like a city boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you wear a scarf when it's not cold? Get them. <laughs> yeah, those glasses aren't even prescription glasses. <laughs> What's prescription? <laughs> That's all I got. So the question is, how long before print journalism is gone? I don't feel like I can predict that. I don't think I can predict that either. I can. It's like months, six, eight months from now. It's I, all over. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading an article. They're like, 10 years. Done. 10 years and it'll be over. So I don't really know. It's hard I to think, say. I think there's always going to be a place for the kind of uh, journalism that you see in print. Whether or not it stays in print is an entirely different matter. And it some will last longer than others. I think there's, there's nothing like a... I subscribe to The New Yorker. I love that magazine. And it's like perfect because it's they're longer articles. You want to read them on a bus or subway or somewhere you'd be undisturbed. That probably has a longer chance of living in print for a long time because it's well-suited to print as opposed to quick-hit news items, which are biologically going to move to the web more quickly, I think. Yeah. This is my Christmas miracle. This is the coolest thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and you're going to say, what a pathetic life if this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to him. Um, my wife and I went to uh, Winnipeg one year, and uh, our Christmas tradition, of course, is to watch Alistair Sim, A Christmas Carol, and It's a Wonderful Life sometime around Christmas. So we get, and she's from Winnipeg, that's why we went. So we get to Winnipeg, and the first thing we do is check the TV guide because the uh, internet was not ubiquitous as it is now, and it wasn't on anywhere. And I thought, what the heck? So I thought, well, We'll just go down and, and buy the, probably VHS at that time, uh, we'll just go down and buy the videos and watch them, you know, at home. And uh, we get to this store, we went to Zeller's, and I'm looking through every single VHS and I can't find anything. And I said to the guy, do you have these two movies? And he goes, well, first off, the Christmas display is out in the hall. Uh, you're looking in the wrong spot. And he said, but everybody's looking for those movies. And trust me, we don't have them because everyone's picked through. So I said, okay, I got to look anyway. So I went. And there's this long display, about eight feet long, videos on both sides. I went through every single one on side one, walked around every single one. I get to the very bottom shelf, the very last rack, and I look in, and there's Christmas Carol. And I reach reach to grab it, and I can't pull it out because there's two stuck together. The other one is It's a Wonderful Life. I kid you not. And I pulled them both out, and I walked up to the guy, and he goes, where the hell did you get those? I said, right over there, down the bottom. He goes, I've gone through that shelf 20 times. They weren't there. I said, well, they're here now, and they're two for $11.99. <laughs> and it was my Christmas miracle. And it was fantastic. 
in my job, I answer a lot of email. A lot of my communication with, with clients is through email. I don't talk to people a lot. Um, and the, the complete and utter lack of, of grammar or punctuation or grasp of the English language uh, when, you're, when you're communicating in a written form drives me insane. Mm -hmm. And it's not just typos. A, t a typo can be forgiven. Yeah. It's, it's, you have no clue. Like, you, you didn't even leave elementary school. Really? Come on. I, uh, a lady that I actually work with, a lady in the same company, uh, clearly hates all punctuation of, of all kinds. Oh, no. And the fun thing about Microsoft Outlook is that if you don't put a period at the end of your sentence, if you just put in a hard return, it will remove extra line breaks. And it will tell you, you know, removed extra line breaks to make your email shorter. Well, she doesn't punctuate, so all of her sentences come in one long string. Oh, my God. It's, oh. it's great. I love trying to decipher emails. No, really. How much of your time does that waste? Uh, actually, I'm getting pretty good at it. <laughs> I'm good like... at, I'm, I'm decent at translating now, guessing what people are actually trying to say. I want to tell you something that Rachel told me that was astonishing. They don't teach grammar in school. No. Which is ridiculous. When I got into university, we spent the first three months of English 101 learning grammar and punctuation because our prof was so pissed off the, that yeah, none of us basics. knew how to do it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nod. Yep. That's, I, that's a pet peeve. Yeah. To, to be fair, I understand not teaching grammar in a science class, so I'm, as a science teacher, not allowed to take marks off for spelling and sure. spell something incorrectly. But in an English classroom? Well, wasn't it you that told me that? Is that not correct? No, it is. Yeah. You're, they're not allowed to teach grammar. What the hell? But they're not allowed to it's, teach it's grammar? It's about the ideas, not the... Oh, come If you on. can't clearly communicate your ideas, you're fucked. Agreed. Yeah, and if you can't form a correct sentence yeah. in, a, in a written form, how are you supposed to get your ideas well, it's like, across? It's like, I, I have this great idea. Let me explain it to you. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know how to communicate, so... I'll just stare at you and hope I'll think about it really hard. Kudos to you. My hat is off. It must oh. be much harder to write for kids than to write for even, even I'd say, young adults would probably be easier. Well, there, there are some challenges uh, writing for kids, but I, I find that if you come up with the universal childhood experience and you update the details so that you're not talking about corduroy pants, but something that they can connect with. Uh, the generally. UCE. The UCE. <laughs> the Universal Childhood Experience. Of course. Have you have you uh, trademarked that term? Because it's. I have just right now. <laughs> <laughs> no one tried to steal it. It's patent pending. Yes. <laughs> Marty Chan's. Marty Chan. Universal Childhood yes. Experience. Sounds like this yes. giant contraption at the Acton <laughs> yeah. Public Library. Now, you you want to make here? use of the Universal Childhood Experience trademark. 2010. What you do, see, is you take your specific childhood experience and you plug it into the machine. We have an algorithm that breaks it down. <laughs> and the... Uh, <laughs> Google's probably the, already built The this. iPhone app will be coming out next week. Yeah. Just speak your childhood trauma into the application and it will take care of the rest. My Story mommy written. spanked me. <laughs> Punishment. <laughs> it makes the bad computer sounds from the Adam West bag. Yeah. <laughs> and ticker tape comes out of it, just like punch cards and stuff. And oh. then somebody spills, uh, oh. somebody spills their soda on the machine just as I'm walking past, and I become Kurt Russell from the computer who wore tennis shoes. 
<laughs> Except oh. all he's doing is spouting out childhood death. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> Do you remember My mother didn't when? hug me enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So we're going to build this, right? We're actually going to build this device. We have to build it now. We have the technology. Where are single people meeting each other? Because if I were single right now, um, I, I'm sorry to say, well, not sorry to say, in fact, because this is how I met my girlfriend. The first place I would look, I would not be wearing pants and it would be the internet. I, it would. That would be my default go-to because it seems to me going to a bar and, you know, trying to trying to find the right person or even the wrong person. Um, would be very difficult. So where are these people hanging out? It is. The bar, I definitely don't recommend the bar. Okay. It's not ideal, especially when you're, you know, over the age of about 22. <laughs> um, but internet is huge. I mean, it's big business. There are many, many paid dating sites right now. Uh, there are also some free dating sites. Um, there's also matchmaking services. We even have some in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And um, But internet is usually, if you're out of the scene for a while, that's the first place you turn. So you would recommend online dating sites? I, I would. And I, I say that a little cautiously because um, I see a lot of profiles. And, and keep in mind, I'm predominantly looking at the male profiles. Sure. Um, they're not very high quality, are they? They're not. They're and all third place trophies, really. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they just got the participation medal. But um, <laughs> I, I feel like that was directed at you, Scott. I really do. <laughs> kind of was. <laughs> So I see um, a lot of profiles where they actually write as they think. And so they're thinking, well, I have not been in the dating world for so long. So I thought I would check out the Internet <laughs> yeah. and I don't like talking about myself. So just email me and ask, um, which is really terrible. Yes. I don't know if you heard Adam's face palm, but it I, was there. I did it. I nearly head desked. It was crazy. <laughs> So when you are online dating, um, that's pretty common. And the other common thing that men tend to do is um, take pictures of themselves in their bathroom mirrors with their cell phones and their shirt off. Again, highly not recommended. Why? <laughs> that seems so... Sexy? Awful. Yeah. Um, talk about crazy Hollywood celebrities. I mean, those outbursts must have an effect on Academy members views of him having said that he is a very talented actor um but my hope because he was amazingly good and because he is amazingly good is that jeffrey rush will win this one mm -hmm. but i think you might be right ashley no it's just uh, i mean the two outbursts he had one was on his family which i don't think anybody can hold against him when you know the other time it was i believe on the set of batman he freaked out on a production assistant terminator Oh, yeah, that's okay. right. It was Terminator. But so that that could have had a really huge impact on whether or not he wins the Oscar or not. And you're right. He is it, Christian Bale also very talented. The first movie I ever saw him in was Little Women. <laughs> and now look at him. <laughs> there you go. That's true. I don't I'm not convinced that he's a terribly talented actor. No. I think I think he's I think he's good in the stuff that he does. But I mean, I think that the Batman voice discounts him. From now, all, here's wow. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to put phrase. him. Because that is, a, that is a terrible decision from an actor's t point of view. To, to, to sound like that. Yeah. I'm willing no, to kind of clump him in in the Keanu Reeves category. And this is based on a conversation I had with someone just recently. And they made a, a fairly convincing argument that Keanu Reeves is actually a good actor with just an incredibly narrow range. There's like two things that he can do, but he does them very well. 
And I'm, I'm willing to agree to that. And I'm willing to say that Christian Bale's kind of the same thing. He's very good in a slightly narrower range of, uh, of roles. I, I don't know I what feel like is. range makes you a better actor. Well, I, I would I, feel, I would agree. I've, I've been saying for for ages that uh, Jesse Eisenberg is the is the talented Michael Sarah because he has Jesse more range. Eisenberg has a lot more range than mm-hmm. Michael Sarah does. Yeah, um, I am so I, for whatever. There's still the halo effect from Christian Bale's portrayal in American Psycho for me. I thought he did. I love that movie. I thought he did a fantastic job of being nuts. Uh, but you have to be a little nuts to be Batman. Maybe maybe he is kind of limited. I don't know. But I, when I watch him in movies, I usually, aside from the Batman voice, I will give you that. I usually really enjoy it. You know what wrestling is? Rock and roll ballet. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> the wrestling industry and the rock and roll industry are so similar. Almost everything that I've learned in wrestling, I can apply to this. You need to work the fans. You need to engage the crowd. You need to bring them in, make them feel part of the performance. You need to do all this. You need to go out and have something polished. You need to sometimes feel out your crowd. Like, maybe we need to not do our heaviest stuff tonight because this crowd is maybe a little whatever. I mean, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to do whatever. And both businesses have shady promoters. Both businesses <laughs> have people who rip you off. Both businesses have people who stab you in the back. After and both businesses you. make you pay your dues starting at the bottom. Absolutely. It's the entertainment I think he business. just had an epiphany, and I think that his wrestling experience is rock. now going to make him into a better rock, rock star. Rock and roll ballet. It's true. And just <laughs> just like wrestling, when when you have a crappy show, you've always got the flying elbow drop. I mean, you can just fuck up the crowd like that. I, I really want to make sure we have a steel chair on hand at all times <laughs> in case if, if, if uh, shit goes completely left field, we've got an out. Um, and, the, and then the promoter is just like has been hit over the back with the steel chair and is down. And Give him a he's, stunner. He's not paying attention. Give him a stunner. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Give chaos. Give him a stunner. Couple, uh, couple of stone. Oh, the sound beers. guy's back was turned. He didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> that always bothered me. That really always bothered me. It's like, it's your job to pay attention. <laughs> well played, Scott. <laughs> so I just popped. That was a pop right there, Scotty. <laughs> if you can think of a, a Muppet from... The era of the Muppet Show and its heyday back in the '80s, then I want to know about. That's it. a dangerous line to tell too, because you might say someone might come in and say, "I didn't like this Muppet," and there could be a legion of like, if you didn't like Fozzie Bear or something like that. You Just, could probably start an or, international uh, ex- or incident. Beaker. Like, yeah, there could be. That's. Just, you're, you're telling me you believe there are people who don't like Beaker. I would think there's probably someone who's like, I don't, I don't like, like that like, guy. I don't like Beaker. I don't like his you mouth. Me, 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 me. Looks like a steam pipe. Yeah. Looks like a what? Looks like a steam pipe. <laughs> he does. He does. He looks like he'd be that that whistle on a train or something. <laughs> He's supposed to look like a beaker. Well, yeah. Just but like Bunsen doesn't. Doctor Bunsen does not look like a Bunsen. He does burner. look like a honeydew, though. That's true. True. That's true. That's very very true. I think that's his first name. No, Benson Honeydew. Oh, right. That's his last name. Yeah. So now that you guys are uh, more familiar with city planning, are you better at playing Sim City? <laughs> I haven't played since. Um, Sorry, that's really a shame. I think you're wasting your skill. I honestly, you know, there, we should do we should do some kind of contest <laughs> where we get like a couple of t- teams together to build I'm the best lie. Sim City. I've actually thought of this. Uh, so have I so I've sort I of thought like, of this. I think this is a and tremendous like, idea. Yeah, I agree. I'm not even joking. I'm like, here you go. You have hundred in-game years to make a city that's not broke, because <laughs> that's my problem. <laughs> I guess I just embezzle with the cheat codes. <laughs> I have I've never. Uh, created a 
functional <laughs> city in Sim City. Runs into the ground but in 20 years. I've uh, I I read a Lutz play on the internet. Lutz plays, for those not familiar, are where you basically watch someone play the game. Who's better than you at the game of Sim City? And it was playing Sim City 2000. No, yep, nope, Sim City 2000. And he made a functional city that was big and awesome and profitable. And I could not have replicated it if I was literally doing everything he did along the way. It was amazing. I did not know it was even possible. And this guy made it look easy. So it can be done. I can pretty constantly, uh, consistently get up to about 200,000 people before <laughs> yeah. things start like falling apart. So, well. I mean... I could. I think I could. My problem is. Red my deer. problem is. I'm like, oh, let's build wind turbines. We're gonna do this right. <laughs> let's have a good transit system. And then nothing. I'm broke, and it's like I'm making no money. And it's like I guess I'll set the game to play itself for a day, so I have some more money to build something. <laughs> and then you find you're deeper in the hole. Yeah. And, yeah, and then you know Godzilla's come. <laughs> Actually, I I bought a game that I'm playing that is even nerdier than SimCity. Oh no. And it's it's called Cities in Motion, and it's all you do is you you um you run a company that. Builds public transit. What for in in like and in in real 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 world cities like Amsterdam and, and Berlin and stuff. I'm so bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> like like the transportation. You've single handedly destroyed the Dutch economy. Uh, building yeah, like I mean, I can I can I can get <laughs> light rail trains. <laughs> I can get three bus routes and like a tram line in Berlin, and then I'm like, oh. I'm I'm sinking. I'm just we'd done. be good train barons though. We're really good at railroads. Oh yeah, we play. <laughs> we'd be really good at that. You play, what do you play? Why are you laughing, Lowell? Well, we played against each other all the time competitively. We just played the nerdiest And you can games. be the worst. You can, like, cut each other off and, like, build track to screw each other over. <laughs> so we're the worst when we play it. It's the most <laughs> inefficient nightmare that we use to screw each other over. Uh, uh, what I like doing is when he, he'll build, like, a, um, uh, you know, to a, a grain farm to his his city that needs grain. So then I'll just uh, buy the grain farm. You're so I'm getting money <laughs> on, on it. You're the worst. <laughs> you guys are such dicks. Yeah. Do you guys believe that this is actually Canada's social media election? Because I don't. I don't either. I think it's being used poorly. Because when Michael Ignatieff is debating, but he's also tweeting... Yeah, call me simple, but I get confused. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think they're doing it right. Hashtag fail for those of you <laughs> familiar with the term. I think uh, those people who are really into social media are excited to have an election to talk about on social media, but I don't think that people who weren't already using it are really getting their information there or you know finding it this great new thing. More than that, I would uh, posit that there are a lot of politicians who, know they have to use social media to reach the youth vote, shall we say, mm -hmm. but don't really know how to do it. And so they're doing it either sloppily or incorrectly. So, I, I mean, kudos for the effort, but you don't know how to do it and it looks kind of painful. <laughs> like when you're watching your grandpa try to learn how to use a like a new iPhone, yeah. it's just, it, it's not working out. Well, I would suggest that the, they'd have a better chance of figuring an iPhone out than than Twitter or Facebook. Um, but who's doing it well, in your opinions? I uh, was really amused when Jack Layton deba debated uh, the current The Voice over Twitter. I that did not fun. see that. Oh, it was really hilarious. I'm quite fond of The Voice. Yes. Uh, I wish I could talk that way. What were, what were they debating? Um, it was, you know, really bantering back and forth. They throw out a question and answer with a silly answer. And it was just more amusing than anything of substance. But I quite enjoyed it. But I, th I think that's that's probably what uh, 
certainly what I'm looking for from the social media aspect is is for to to see that sort of human element. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people talk about how Stephen Harper is a robot and and Ignatius like this sort of inaccessible scholar. This these technologies, these tools, give them the opportunities to be more human, and and some people are just not doing it. That's true, and I think you see glimmers of of greatness coming through, but for the most part, I don't think anybody's using it super well. I mean, whether you're looking at either the Harper sing-along with that girl. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think it makes him look more human, but then it was taken down right away. Um, See Ignatieff and Harper sparring a little bit over whether or not they would do a one-on-one debate over Twitter. But for the most part, I think it's just hints of greatness. It's certainly no one using it. I don't think anyone's opinion or their vote is going to be changed by social media this election, which I think would be the hallmark. Is someone going to vote differently because they watched something happen on Twitter or watched a YouTube video than they would have if they had never seen it in the first place. I don't think so. That's a good point. It's an interesting point. So I don't specifically recall which one it is. (laughs) I've got the Harry Potters. It sounds like an (laughs) STI. (laughs) But uh, the one immediately preceding Deathly Hallows uh, was awful. It was a terrible movie, and if I had not read the book, I would not have had a clue what was going on. Oh, yeah. Mm. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. What, what, what was that one called? I'm uh, so... I, you, yeah. You, you mix up your Harry Potters. Yeah, I have the Harry all, Potters. I want to say it was... Uh, <laughs> I want to say it was the Half-Blood Prince. I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. I, that I sounds right. Yeah, I yeah. No, I think that's correct. Yeah, it sounds right. They are literally on a shelf behind Adam right now, and <laughs> none of us can be bothered to look <laughs> yeah. is the worst part. Here we go. Mm. Uh... Scott was right. Half Blood Prince. That's right. It yeah. was it was not good. They focused on the wrong part of the story, uh, to the detriment of the main part of the story that left tremendous plot holes. And mm. again, I had read the story prior, and I could barely follow what was going on, and was and was bored for a large portion. See, but I I've never read any of the books, much to my wife's dismay. <laughs> never read any, and I I thought it was like it's just slowly getting better. Like I said, like Fair enough. like a good wine. Does it make you want to read the books? Yeah. <laughs> Who has the time? I, mean, I, really? I did when 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 the first three or so came out. I was like, you know what, I should get. And then I was like, what? There's like three more <laughs> movies left, if that four, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why they make movies anyway, so exactly. we don't have to read the internet generation. <laughs> now, is there? Uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of uh, activities that you're involved in. Uh, is have you looked at? putting anything on or, or organizing something? Not yet. (laughs) Um, but my brain is definitely stirring and where I'd really like to see is I'd love to do something and we're going back to winter fashion, but I think that, um, it's just an area that we can really showcase Edmonton and the talent that we have here. And I think Western, you know, Canada fashion week does some incredible things, but when they changed their name from Edmonton Fashion Week to Western Canada Fashion Week, I thought that was really sla- sad. Really? I Yeah, why not put Edmonton on the map? You know, New York isn't Eastern U.S. Fashion Week, right? <laughs> I mean, so let's stick with Edmonton, and I would love to see us um, showcase a little bit more winter fashion, uh, fall fashion, and celebrate what we have here. I would love to see something. If they, if they do the Winter Light Festival next year, because for some reason I think that that might be up in the air. I don't know why I think mm-hmm. that. I have no reason to. Um, it'd be awesome to do like an outdoor runway show at Churchill Square, get get some DJs or some musicians to come and, and do the music and a designer to like do the whole lighting and, and set design and stuff and then get a whole bunch of really cool winter outfits together. 
the weird thing is I was also thinking of associating it with the Winter Light Festival because we've got a huge months long <laughs> celebration of winter. Yeah. Why can't we celebrate winter fashion at the same time? Brought to you by City and Dale. You guys are putting the pressure on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, helping, just, we're helping you plan this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just trying to give you ideas. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, you could see it with a beautiful ice catwalk. Oh, totally. With beautiful light shining underneath that or you know, put the models in skates. You could have a lot of fun with it and make it... Um, I think we have to, and what else I really like about including it, say with something like Winterlight, is we have to bring fashion to people. So the fashion community is already connected. Yeah. So let's set it up in a public place and attract people who otherwise wouldn't come. Totally. Right? Yeah, you could turn it into, it could be huge. Like I'm just, now I'm starting to think of, what about local, um, you know, chefs and stuff like that? They could, you know, it could really be a taste of, it could be, uh, the theme could be style because that transcends, you know, fashion transcends everything too. But style is more a sort of generalized term. Mm-hmm. So it could be like, it could literally just be winter, Edmonton style. Sold. Sold. <laughs> Get on Right that. here, yeah. <laughs> this is a really special moment for us. It we, is. We didn't expect the Unknown Studio to go as long as it has. And that's... Not to say that that we didn't want it to and that we weren't hopeful that it would, but we were realistic. We set realistic goals for ourselves. And 50 episodes is a tremendous milestone and one that we're very proud of for a show that we are very proud of. Well, but the the other great thing is that this episode presents an opportunity uh, for people who want to get into the show. That's right. Uh, so we wanted it to be not just a celebration of all that came before. Which it will be. But also uh, a, a jumping on point. A, a, uh, a point where, where new people can be brought in so that we can build our audience for the next 50 episodes. That's right. And on that note, I think we can, we can both say together, previously, previously on, on The, the Unknown, Unknown Studio. Studio. And now, Sex Talk, brought to you by the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Hey, I'm Lauren from the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Edmonton Pride Week starts next week on June 10th, and it's packed full of awesome events, starting off with the parade and the celebration on the square on Saturday, June 11th. If you've never been to Pride celebrations before, you're missing out on what has become the party of the year. Whether you're gay, straight, bi, pansexual, asexual, or otherwise, this is the place to be for awesome free entertainment, unique vendors, and the best people watching the city has to offer all summer. Pride has become a large and colorful festival, so it's easy to think of it as just a party. But it's important to remember why it all started and why we still need to make time to celebrate it today. We've come a long way in the fight for equal rights and equal treatment but we're not there yet. The Edmonton Public School Board has announced that it's planning to implement a gender identity and sexual orientation policy in order to better support students and staff and to make a statement against discrimination and homophobic bullying. Overall, it's a beautiful statement and a great step forward. However, there are people who are actually planning to protest this policy, which includes such statements as, all students, families and staff have the right to be free from harassment, prejudice, discrimination, intimidation, bullying, and violence, and be treated fairly, equitably, and with dignity and respect. 
The Alberta LGBTQ teachers and allies are asking for your support of this policy and to let Edmonton public know that those who oppose this policy are a minority. Visit our website at travelingtickletrunk.com slash sextalk to learn how you can show your support. Edmonton is an amazingly vibrant, diverse, and caring community, and Pride Week is a fantastic example of this. Show your pride at any of the events from June 10th to 19th, and don't forget to come and see us at Celebration on the Square on Saturday, June 11th. And uh, there you have it, 50 glorious episodes. Well, now it's 50 episodes because we've just finished the 50th episode. Indeed, or at least we're, we're moments from wrapping up the 50th episode, the climactic, epic 50th episode of The Unknown Studio. I hope it was climactic. I hope that uh, we were able to show you the, the breadth and depth of the hilarity that is the show. And not only that, the interesting things and people that happen here in the city of Edmonton. I would go so far as to say that I don't hope it's the climax because that implies that the next 50 episodes are all downhill. So I will say it is an anti-climax. It is, it, is, uh, it is a peak that only builds into a greater peak later on. But Scott, I'm of the school of thought that you can experience multiple climaxes. <laughs> Touché. So there you go. Thanks for listening. And, uh, well, here's to 50 plus 1, 2, 3, 4, and so on. And uh, thank you very much to our 50 guests for joining us once again. Our, in fact, 50-plus guests for joining us once again in the studio uh, all over again. Yeah, we hope to get you back again soon. Uh, but in case you've decided you don't want to, we also totally understand. No, we don't. No, you should be on our show. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 50, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks very much for listening. You don't make friends with salad. What if you just don't make friends? Then you're a sad man. A sad, lonely, friendless man. With salad. Delicious, crunchy salad. Fresh garden salad. From your lonely garden. And from, yes, or your lonely green grocer. (laughs)